Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm really excited to share with you one of the most special people in my life, which is a big deal. You know, like I, I kind of think I've thought about bringing my partner on the podcast and then I get a little bit like, oh, is it time yet? Um, because the, the, your special people are your special people. And today I thought, you know, it's time to introduce you to Rebecca, who's been my friend, best friend for 20 years, which is crazy when I say that out loud. She's an incredible psychotherapist, seeker, spiritual practitioner, wise woman, mama, so many things. And this podcast is really deep, really tender and uh, I'm really excited for you to hear it so I hope you enjoy hi everybody welcome to the holy fuck podcast this is my first podcast recording in a bed okay (laughs) I have never recorded in a bed and my dear friend Rebecca and I are here in Nevada City at this beautiful hotel. So if you hear, uh, you know, plates and and things clinkling in the background, I think it's because breakfast is being served outside uh, our door. But we just wanted to take the moment to luxuriate from our most soft and juicy place, which is the bed, which is, you know, a new thing for me. So here we are reporting from the bed of Nevada City, beautiful hotel. I'm sitting here with one of my dearest sisters of. 20 years this year, yeah. 20 years this year. Years of friendship. Oh, welcome, <laughs> Rebecca Shepard, you all. This is going to be such a great podcast. I think I've been waiting for this moment because our relationship is kind of private in terms of like, you're yeah. you're not like a wellness influencer. Or you're not like a, yeah. you're not as much of a public person as I am. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I know that's been an interesting kind of journey for you I'm sure as a friend to be with someone who's like very been very public <laughs> and um about everything yeah, and I have some stories about that <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is about you no <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh I had this inkling I'm like okay it's time to bring Rebecca on this podcast mm-hmm. and um so you know Rebecca is I'm gonna just intro her a little bit here, but Rebecca is somebody who is just an ongoing inspiration to so many people. She's lived such a big life. You know, when you hear people that are like these grand personalities that have lived and, and you know, could you could write so many memoirs about different ep- epics of your life, different eras of your life. I mean, when I met her, we were at NYU and we won't tell that whole story because it's, it's, it's a good story, but it's, it's a lot. It's like, whole nother thing. We have so much to talk about today, but we were both in acting school together. Rebecca was a tremendous actress, like someone that you would see perform and you would just be dazzled by. Um, And, and then from there, Rebecca's journey took her to being a birth doula. She traveled around the world, so many different places. I mean, she worked at a, a radio station in Kentucky. She wove in a weaving collective 
in Guatemala. She worked on farms in Europe and Italy. She kept creating art, acting, creating theater. She was also involved in this incredible social justice theater group in Seattle. That was kind of in the early days that was just, that were doing revolutionary work about race and privilege before this was like 20 years ago. Um, and now she is an incredible therapist. She went to the California Institute of Integral Studies. She has trained and done extensive work with MAPS, if you all know, in the psychedelic space, uh, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. And she does work with people and psychedelics and in the therapeutic context. And yeah, there's just so much more to say <laughs> about you, but that's the short version. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me here. You are one of my closest and dearest and best friends, and it is really an honor to get to share with you and your audience in this space. Mm. Well, so I'm going to start with, you were on your spiritual path. I don't know if you were calling it that. Maybe it was more of like a path of consciousness or exploration. But when I met you, I will say you introduced me to tofu, almond milk. <laughs> Yes. You brought ma you <laughs> you brought mate into my life, which was something that my family had drank and my grandpa mm -hmm. had drank, but I had never drank it. It was like something that only sort of like the farmer men in my family drank. And then you were drinking mate. And I was like, oh my God, this is like <laughs> from my Brazilian lineage. Anyway, so when I met Rebecca, she was living alternatively. And yeah, this was in 2002. So. I was from Georgia. I didn't under, like I had had some experience of alternative living um, or conscious living. This was again, 20 years ago, but she really brought that on. And I'm just curious, what set you on your path from being, you know, growing up in the matrix, right? Growing up in the mainstream in Seattle to all of a sudden kind of breaking out of that at such a young age, right? You were like maybe 21 or something. Anyway, <laughs> well, some, some might say some who know me, um, that, that, that part of me has, has, has been there all along. It's part of my Aquarian nature, you know, to, um, in some ways separate from the crowd and forge my own path and try to figure things out on my own. I am very independent and um, there's a shadow side to that too. It's been challenging at times in my life to find my own way. Um, I, I know this is something we're going to talk about at some point today because I'm a therapist and I'm very focused on attachment and attachment wounding. And I focus a lot in my work on abandonment and healing from wounds of abandonment and neglect. And I just know that some part of um, those experiences from my own upbringing, my own childhood, feeling really alone in the world and wanting to feel connected, you know, have been at odds with my independent nature, you know, at times mm -hmm. I've had several rounds now in my life of feeling sort of cast out into the cosmos alone and not knowing where I'm going, what I'm doing and essentially lost, um, trying to find my way on my own. And there's just been always a sort of internal tension between knowing I need to go it alone and that that is my spiritual path to walk in this life, because in many ways it's the antidote to 
um, the frightened, abandoned child in me that wants, you know, that really seeks for the other to help me do it, you know, to to help soothe my anxious um, longing for connection and feeling shaky, like I can't do it myself. I need someone else to make the decision for me. I need someone else to show me the way. Um, and then being at odds with, you know, the part of me that is very independent and 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 wants to to go it alone and feels best when I'm in that in that space. And so, yeah, my my path has <laughs> been led in many ways by this um, opposing, you know, these opposites. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And when we met, I was we were both really young. And um, when I came to New York University, I, I felt very um, apart from the crowd. Um, and in many ways, I liked it uh, because that's part of my nature. You know, I liked being different. Um, we talk about this sometimes. We were relaying to my five-year-old son when we picked up Alex at the airport um, this past week which rebecca is the only person that's allowed to call me alex because it's from 20 years ago so don't, oh. even, don't even try that anybody <laughs> good to know Ooh, i get special <laughs> access <laughs> all access pass anyway so her yeah, her so adorable I, son asked how we met how we night. met Tell him the story. And we were sharing this story and um the story that alex sometimes tells is that i would roll around on the floor and i had hairy armpits and i was just totally foreign to her she had this never was met a woman class yeah and she know. never she said everyone was sitting in chairs but rebecca sat on the floor like you know lay, laying about or sitting cross-legged but just doing her own thing and just hearing you recount that story you know i just had a sort of reverence for my young self thinking wow yeah i you know, I wasn't afraid at that time and, um, you know, just to be a little bit different. But that also what's amazing about that story is that you and I, um, we sort of had one of those destined to be best friend moments that was catalyzed from um, a like the contrast. The, what do you call that? When something like two magnets that are actually mm. opposing forces, they bounce off each other. Yeah. Repel. Yeah, we were repelling one another. We actually didn't like each other at first. We right. triggered the fuck out of each other. Right. And then um, and then we came to discover we had so much to teach one another. Right. Yeah. Right. Ooh, and I can just say just easily that one of the things that you did teach me was like to let my freak flag fly, yeah. you know? And I think that in Georgia, my mom had always been a little bit off the beaten path. And I had always felt like a black sheep, but I had tried to fit in because I had been, you know, bullied or slut shamed or whatever. And so there was like this unconscious part of me that was like, well, inside I may be like this, but I need to just pass, right? As mm. quote unquote normal. And then when I met you, you're like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> don't try to pass as normal just yeah. like be the you you know wear the wild vintage clothes like <laughs> let your armpit hair grow out which was you know very very that time in our life yeah. um like laugh loud be free and there was a lot of freedom that I learned from mm. you at that time and a lot of permission like to feel a woman in her freedom uh, in her expression. And again, this is 20 years ago. Rebecca was just expressed. She would just walk into a room, super badass. Um, <laughs> she had, you know, her red lipstick and her amazing, you know, vintage clothes and didn't wear deodorant, which was always, 
<laughs> We're really getting into my armpit health and history in this podcast. And I'm just appreciating. Well, it's just funny. As a woman, those are just things yeah. that we were really indoctrinated into. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to smell good and you have to do this. And um, there was so much to unpack. But but what, I mean, there was, besides the external, there was a quality of you, um, of that you had already been a part of a culture that celebrated sort of the path of consciousness or expansion. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What was that like, your early days of um, kind of be- beginning to discover maybe your own spirituality or your own kind of healing journey? Yeah, Um <clears throat> I I had several sort of thresholds of awakening. I would say the first was um, when I was in community college in Seattle, I was a part of a theater group, um, theater company, eventually became a company called the Conciliation Project. And we were under, it it, it, um, sort of bloomed out of this uh, class called, um, oh my God, what was the class called? Doesn't matter. Ritual poetic drama within the African continuum. Okay, does my matter. amazing. Yeah. It does matter. Yeah, my um, amazing teacher Tanya Pettiford Waits, who is now a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University. Um, she was such a huge mentor in my life. Um, because this group, this theater group, which was a, a supremely diverse group of students, super young, all of us were 18, 19, 20, 21, you know, we were under her guidance, writing original plays and producing them, all really having to do with the lineage of racism in America. And this was really at a time, it was just very, like, quote, unquote, before its time it wasn't really like, you know, like black people, I think have been talking about racism in America forever. But America as a whole was not having this conversation in the way that it's being had now, um, in a more public space. And so we, you know, these shows we would do like the first show we did was called Uncle Tom Deconstructed. And it was a show that was um, basically half the cast was in blackface and half the cast was in whiteface. And it took place, you know, really around this minstrel or it was, it was produced, performed in the style of minstrelsy. And this was just so, you know, ahead of its time. And we would have um, talks after the show. Um, very uncomfortable for the white people, you know, who were just really not ready for that conversation and including myself, you know, I was so young and I am white and just really had not been um, exposed to the full history and lineage. And so it was just a big part of my consciousness awakening was being a part of that community um, and being mentored in, in such a powerful way by by Dr. T. We call her Dr. T. And so, um, yeah. And then also I would say just being exposed to people who walked into my life through that theater company and otherwise in Seattle during those days, like Joel and Nomia and other people who just had their homes open for connection and people would come by and, you know, also consciousness, um, expanding, um, plant allies were also a part of that time for Mm -hmm. many of us just, connecting to ourselves and others on deeper channels of awareness but the whole walk of life is is this spiritual journey it's not really like we just drop into these moments or these eras of time every single moment is 
uh, the walking spiritual path. I mean, that's what I'm realizing now. I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Um, but you, it's, yeah, go ahead. Well, it gets harder as you grow older with more responsibility. You know, I think it's easier to tap into mm-hmm. the deep spiritual. Um, it's funny you called it the matrix earlier, like being in the default mode, but I always refer to being in the matrix actually in my mind as at that time when I, I had awakened to something that was, and I say awakened, not necessarily in the enlightened sense, but um, awakened to the living, breathing connection between all life that really is talking to you if you if you begin to pay attention um the experience of synchronicity and profound you know coincidence where i might be thinking or talking about something with someone and then it would just some some other connection would happen and i began to really awaken to it was almost like antennae that started to um right. signal and fire and i i was able to listen in a new way but i think that's possible when you're in your 20s and you don't have a lot of responsibility you're suddenly of the adult mind and you can make connections that you couldn't make when you were younger um so there's this profound opportunity but as you get older you know as I, I'm 42 now, and I'm a mother of two small children, and life is just very different. It's it's harder. I always sense that, uh, you know, in my 50s and 60s, I'm going to get to sort of plug into that more awakened matrix when I have a little more spaciousness in my life to to really do so. But mm-hmm. um, at the same time, we were talking about this. You know, I've been through some of the more anguishing. Uh, but beautiful transformative um, eras of my life quite recently. And so even amidst lots of distraction of modern life and, and um, the, you know, the burden of just being (laughs) living in this modern culture, we still go through our spiritual fires Mm -hmm. even still. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. There's like the exalted matrix and then there's the sort of like, oppressive human like human constructed matrix like the matrix yeah. like that you see when you're on mushrooms and there's like a beautiful kind of grid of interconnectedness like yeah. that that's a very distinct difference than the sort of you know existing within um the mainstream capitalist machine mm-hmm. you know um I do feel like you were ahead of your time and maybe that pocket of humans was, or maybe the place or something, maybe there was a contrast, but for me, it was so different from where I grew up in Georgia to come to Seattle and everyone was eating really healthy. The homes were beautiful and full of like beautiful, like vintage dumpster dive to like art. Um, The conversations were, were deep. There was poetry. There was incredible music. Like there was, honesty and you're right there was a lot of freedom because there wasn't a lot of responsibilities and so you know we had silly jobs like in a sense and we and we were all really broke i mean it was, we it, were it, it's not you you said beautiful homes but it's not in the conventional sense no super in a basement apartment and we all hung out there and yeah yeah it was like and everything was really found or scavenged somehow like totally. we really hobbled together our lives but when you say it was beautiful, it was the epitome of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. Connection, yeah. Real connection. Yeah. And I like how you just said, you know, obviously we're always on the path, though I think some people don't don't have the awareness of making choices about their lives, that they don't have to opt into certain ideology, that they don't have to treat their bodies in certain ways, that they mm. can liberate themselves from all that indoctrination. Sometimes 
people don't have that journey of liberation until they're much older. Mm. You know, some of my friends now, you know, I'm 38, but I have some friends that are just recently coming into the liberation around that as a woman, they don't need to be skinny to be loved, mm. that, you know, they don't have to be pretty to be loved, um, that they don't have to sort of buy into conventional or traditional uh, norms of family or marriage, whatever, sexuality. And so what I just find to be so precious, and not that it's a better or worse thing, I think that time is really elastic and so big, but I do think it's precious that we were able to hold each other's hand and you you grabbed my hand and said, come over here. Like you don't have to hold these ideas that you're only lovable if you're pretty or you're skinny or you're this or you're that, but like, come be free with us and like, come join this band of like bohemian artists. And for me, it was just, that was so, so incredible to have that at a young age. Not that that indoctrination didn't come back. It comes and goes for all of us because I think we're being pumped with it all the time, you know, by society of like, your life is supposed to look this way, but to know fundamentally and to have the imprint that it's like, it's okay to live your life in a different way than you saw on Full House or like, you know, whatever it was. And mm -hmm. that, that, that to me is so special. Yeah. 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 Okay. So let's just, we're not doing this chronologically people. <laughs> let's see. Yeah. You just mentioned something. You just dropped a little juicy bomb about sitting in some spiritual fires yeah. at this point in your journey. And I know we have so many things that we want to talk about, but like, mm -hmm. what do you even mean? Like, what are you talking about? Tell us. Yeah. Well, my understanding of myself and its impact on my family has, you know, just, um, it's been a, a really big journey over the last couple of years you know, my understanding of my sexuality really, um, uh, what blew up my life. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I've been married to a man and, and we have two small children and we opened our marriage and I fell in love with a woman and pretty quickly learned, oh, I'm so gay. Like wow. really, really gay. Like no question. And it's, and it's funny to go through your, your life. Um, you know, we're talking about me in, you know, right now here on the podcast in terms of like someone who's been, you know, knowing herself for so long. And by that was really, um, this experience has been one that's just shaken me to my core, not in the sense of, oh no, I'm gay. So that feels so terrible to know, you know, oh, I'm, I feel complicated feelings about that. No, I actually feel the most liberated whole version of myself I have ever known. There's not a single part of me that isn't just like, oh my God, what a relief to know this about myself. Um, but in terms of how it's shaken me and my understanding of who I think I am, like I've carried around this notion of myself as someone who knows who I am, you know, like right. I've, I've done so much deep inner work. Um, how could I be walking around this planet thinking I know who I am and at the age of 40 realize something so deeply like intrinsic to my being that I have completely shut out and been lying to myself about for a really long time. Um, 
when I say lying to myself, I have to say not even in a conscious way. Like to right. say I realized this is really the experience. I, it was something I was very unconscious of. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I've I've since you know found a really cool Reddit community called Late Bloomer Lesbians, and there's like <laughs> eighty five thousand women in that group, just like me. Wow, um, many of whom are married to men or who've been married to men before, or are just figuring this out. And there's a document in that group that um, is called um, it's it's all about compulsory heteros heterosexuality compet. Mm. And the document really helped me understand how someone like me could have this experience at this phase of life. You know, I think when you're born um, into a cisgender experience um, and you're femme, you know, you can really just, you you are easily assimilated and indoctrinated into the escalator path of moving up through relationships. You know, like I, I was born a woman, a girl, and I felt like a girl and, and was really just shown girls like guys and girls go with guys. And I am very drawn to masculinity. So it's not, it was not a hard leap for me, but in my world growing up, nobody was out as queer, like at all. I mean, there were like maybe two people in my high school mm -hmm. who were, um, who people thought would were queer, right. um, but no one would ever come out back then. I mean, it's so different now. Um, and so it just was not even an offering. Right. Um, so, you know, my experience was like, I was crawling out of my skin a lot of times after the first year of being with a man, you know, you have, you're coasting on that new relationship energy. Um, and so it's exciting and thrilling. Um, but after that, I was, I had a lot of issues in sex and I just thought something was wrong with me, truly wrong with me. I would get disgusted and I, I was doing a lot of bargaining in my mind every time I would have to have sex. It was like a, an obligation that I, I hated. Wow. And, um, you know, these are things that this like group really helped me understand like, oh, I'm only thinking about like butch women when I'm fucking men. What's that oh. about? You know, like what I actually just thought to my, I created this whole story in my mind. Oh, I'm doing that because I'm straight. And that's sort of transgressive in my mind. Cause I'm not Right. gay like oh that's why i'm into that because it's breaking the rules it's something i can't have um and maybe that's why it's hot and then turns out <laughs> no that's just what i'm into and right. i was hiding that from myself in some way i think because i was very attached to heterosexuality i think um mm -hmm. you know so for as much as we're talking about me as this rule breaker right. you know independent aquarian spirit there are ways in which I, I think unconsciously a part of me was very attached to the social capital that is gained through being a heterosexual person in this world and how much that was an identity that I bought into um, largely because I, I truly think because I, I just didn't have a lot of modeling around it. And I also think I bought into this idea that to have children, I needed to do it with a man, like that it would be much harder for me. I just never even let myself go there in my mind. Right. And so when this happened, I mean, it just blew up my life. It blew up every part of my life. And, um, but, but I, I talk about this now from the place of, um, also wanting to share that, the the impact it's had has been one that's pushed my husband and I into new realms of possibility um, of of living a very unconventional life together potentially. I mean, we're still really figuring this out. This is what I'm talking about going through the spiritual fire. You're you're talking to me as someone who's 
sitting in the flames. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, maybe the embers are are cooling a little bit. Yeah. I've been through it was raging fires, and now it's it's a little. I'm I'm moving to the other side, but um, for a good long while, all we were talking about and making plans for was divorce. We we're just waiting for my daughter to get a little older, and um, I really thought that was the plan this year. And then now, out of quite out of the blue. Um, he's having some change of heart and wanting to just explore the possibility of living as um, platonic family, as as family, as as dear like companions that love one another. We navigate the world very well together. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anyone that I share the values um, and the life passions with, but there's this one piece that is just a hard no for me anymore. Yeah, and so. Yeah. And and there are many examples of people who are doing this. I want to just mention there's a wonderful, um, well, there's a podcast and a, you know, you can follow this community called Remodeled Love, um, where there's a, it's a polyamory um, podcast or polyamory community um, that there's a marriage there that's, that's similar. Yeah. Um, Not quite the same story, but the woman in the marriage said, you know, I don't feel like this is a sexual bond for me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I want to have my, you know, and they were already open, but anyway, they're yeah. living in this unconventional way. And it's beautiful because it still maintains the village. The family stays intact. I mean, I think if people can do it, right, it's, it's beautiful and anything is possible. And this is where like relationship anarchy is a, a pretty <laughs> cool philosophy. If you, yeah. you know, get into that world where the the exploration that's offered in relationship anarchy is really that we don't need to ascribe to the dictated norms of relationship as we are you know shown them in society for example um you know you can cho- in relationship anarchy you can choose to um procreate with and live a platonic uh parent co-parent life with your you know, best friend, or you can be married to your deepest beloved, but choose to live in separate houses forever. Or, you know, like there's really no rules to relationship. And I find this exciting, um, this possibility. Um, So that we're navigating, you know, these very unknown waters and without a lot of models for how to go about doing it, but doing it in a way that is open-hearted and, and open to possibility. But again, these changes I'm describing to you are extremely new, like last week, (laughs) big shift. So generous of you. Well, so what I'm saying is like, I I can't even hold myself to what I'm sharing with you. Of course, of course. Subject to change as the waves of life bring new (laughs) insights. Yeah. So what I love is that I hope everybody hears that, well, Rebecca was on this journey her whole life of consciousness, of exploration, of knowing herself, of freeing herself, which included uh, Burning Man and ayahuasca ceremonies and being at a, a lot of women's births and supporting people through their mm-hmm. birth, like just in a lot of peak, very big opening experiences. But this piece of her own consciousness her own embodied experience didn't present itself till now and like so it's like you can be in the depths of all these ceremonies but a part of your unconscious or a part of your journey is not ripe yet 
to be shown and you can't force it. And I do think that people, you know, there's this idea that it's like, oh, it should have presented itself earlier or. Why didn't I know this about yes, myself? That was a path in which totally. I was wrong with me. How could I be so blind? Totally. But thank you for saying what you're saying. Yeah. But that, you know, we are so, so like nature, so cyclical. The, the, the parts that are in our unconscious that are meant to begin to emerge, they don't until we are like ready and the conditions are ready. And we don't know what kind of soul contracts we've made with ourselves that we need to do ABC before this other part reveals. And so I just see this for people to give themselves permission to not, not assume that you know everything about yourself. Don't assume that. Don't assume that you know everything about yourself just because now you started to learn to meditate and you went to some ceremonies. It's just the beginning. We're so unfolding, you know, and I think that that's part of it is this fear that we or this attachment that we have to like, well, I know myself and I'm attached to who I think I am. Mm -hmm. And now it's so brutal and it's so painful. And yes, that will always happen in some iteration. That's part of the death cycle, right? And mm -hmm. everything is cyclical, mm -hmm. our bodies, you know, nature. Um, but I just hearing you, I'm like, that's perfect timing. Like it presented itself at the perfect moment. And also mm -hmm. I will say that the imprint of love that I received from Rebecca and her husband's partnership was so potent and transformational for me because I sat in ayahuasca ceremonies with the two of them. We all loved each other. We went to Burning Man together. We loved each other. They were so loving and compassionate. They held spiritual values as a couple and not only held them together, but they broadcast them into their community. Mm -hmm. And at their wedding, which was so unconventional and perfect. We were standing in a circle around them in the beautiful, in the, the, the middle of the beautiful deep playa. And everyone said, you've given me a gift. You guys have given me such a gift of a type of love I've really never seen. Mm. And so there's just like having that spiritual foundation, that love foundation of love. And then now, right. The, like the, the, the foundation rocked and like the, the, the waves and the flooding and the, the biblical kind of, um, you know, rapture has come. And then how beautiful that you're like, Oh, wow, there are, there's possibility here, not just destruction. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, the goddess Kali, who, when we were young, you put her picture above our door of our apartment, just to make sure no demons came. Um, but just like her, there's creation and destruction are two sides of the same coin. And I think people, become so terrified mm -hmm. to destroy certain ideologies or internalized beliefs or identities. And it's necessary for the creation. And so I'm just excited for you all, regardless. I know there's so much pain involved and so much um, anguish, like you said, which is, which the suffering involved is terrible, but I'm excited for you all because of all people that I know, you are the person that I think of course, would steward into the world an unconventional way mm -hmm. of experiencing love and relationship and family. Mm -hmm. And then that in turn can liberate other people mm -hmm. who are sitting alone in their apartments going, well, if I don't have a partner, I can't do it. Instead of going, hey, maybe I can create an unconventional family and live, you know, with and have a kid with someone that I love, you know, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I look forward to that possibility because I just feel, I see so many women who are just waiting and I was one of them, like waiting for a man to come to like, I want to like have my person and have a family and all of this. Oh, what yeah. if that's not the only way? 
Hi, everybody. Quick interlude here because I want to tell you about my group Radical Awakenings. It's an online community space for wild women, for smart women, for women who love to engage in spiritual practice, who don't go to traditional temple or church, but want to create their own temple space where we can practice embodiment and ritual, where you can stand in front of the group and ask questions, feel your feelings, express your rage, your grief. We can laugh together. We can write together. We can speak and pray in the way that we know in our bones how to do together. So I've been leading spaces like this for a very long time. My first women's circle I led back in 2002. I am super devoted to creating safe and sacred spaces for women to come together, to play, to express, to embody, to feel, to grieve, to open, to inspire each other. Sacred sisterhood is super important to me and not in some let's fix each other, sugar-coated, dress all in white version of spirituality. Of course, you know me, that's not how I roll. The women that come to my programs, they're smart, they're change makers, they're visionaries, they're crossing thresholds and initiations, they're going through dark nights of the soul. They've got tattoos, they've got babies, they're birthing books, they're making radical changes in their lives. Of course, you don't have to have tattoos or babies or books in order to be with us, but all are included. We are a beautiful motley crew of women who have one sacred goal, to come together to honor these bodies, these hearts, to honor our spiritual practice day to day, not as something we just do on a yoga or meditation retreat, but something that is incorporated and integrated into our lives. We bring rituals into the homes, we make altars, we live by the stars and the moon, we live by the cycles, and we come together to reclaim something that we know to be true. So I would love to invite you to the next iteration of Radical Awakenings. We meet twice a month and you get the recordings if you can't attend live with all kinds of bonuses included in the program as well. So look in the show notes. There's a link to join, bring a friend. We would love to have you, to hold you, to be with you as we all continue to walk this wild and weird human life together. What were some of the spiritual lessons for you in going from this, I see my life in this one way to wait, it could look differently. Like what were some of the spiritual trials or tribulations? Oh, well, to be honest, the first one I had to work through was the breakup with my girlfriend um, because that you know, dredged up all of my abandonment stuff. And that spiritual fire was its own thing, separate from from my family piece. Um, Because what that did was it, honestly, it was the image that I have sometimes when I think about that experience, which went on for the better part of a year. I mean, truly living in, I don't know what, an incineration of some kind, really being burned to ash is what it felt like. I've never been through anything quite like that. It was it was like being driven down. I just see almost like a huge metal stake being driven deeper and deeper into the earth and, and eventually striking some kind of magma at the core of myself. Um, but those layers of crust, you know, going down through the layers of 
wounding and pain and um, defenses, you know, is really me facing a, a lifetime of deeply, deeply avoided um, abandonment trauma that I think without that experience, I would not have been able to reach deep enough to really go there and heal it. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier attachment and I mean, it's just really become the focus of my work because so many reasons I'm very passionate about child rearing and, um, I see so many adults in my psychotherapy practice that, um, have been wounded and deeply impacted as adults by the ways that they were tended to or not tended to as children. And so I'm very passionate about trying to nip that in the bud and have healthy relationships between caregivers and children very early on. Um, and I did have a very loving mother. Um, my father was not emotionally present at all, totally checked out and an alcoholic. And, um, my mom was a flight attendant, however. And so she was always leaving, you know, from when I was three months old, she was always leaving us for days at a time with this totally checked out drunk person. Which Rebecca and I, you guys might've heard in my story that my parents were both flight attendants. Yeah. And so we when, when we met, like part of our repelling, we probably both were just carrying such deep abandonment wounds and like felt it in each other in a way. So that's something we really walked together. So just yeah. wanted to interject there. Yeah. It's so funny to just talk about it in this very basic kind of light terms, like, oh, our parents were flight attendants, but the reality, the lived experience of that when you're a small child even when you're a teenager, I mean, it's, it's, I can't, I can't even put into words how destabilizing it is to have the one parent, at least in my story, I had one parent who was really emotionally capable of meeting any of my needs growing up, basic needs, and to have her be gone suddenly and for unknown amounts of time coming and going for days at a stretch, it was just really, it was, um, it was brutalizing to, to into my inner world. Yeah. And so um, when this person left me, it just took me into, I, I needed to go there. I really, I needed to go and heal those places. And it's ongoing. I don't yeah. think we ever arrive, Alex. I, I don't, there's no arrival. I want everyone here who's listening to know there's yeah. no arriving. You never arrive. You're just doing the work until the day you die. And I think you probably pass into a new existence and you keep going. I mean, totally. it's just going and going. So um, which feels very Buddhist, you know, and it's very contra to this new age idea that like, you know, you can positive think or just kind of like ceremony yourself out of some of these patterns that are actually embedded in your nervous system and your psyche in such deep ways. And Buddhism is what brought me through the fire, to be honest. It's not um, a spiritual path I'd ever really connected to before. But, um, you know, as Pema Chodron is very famous for oh, writing about, I just you got know, goosebumps. yeah, when things fall apart or the wisdom of insecurity or um, there's so many other books that, you know, took me there and, and into my own um, groups. I started going to a lot of Buddhist um workshops and um, processes and, and just meditations through spirit rock and other places that just really helped me on my path to deeply engage with the reality of impermanence that people do come and go from our lives. And in fact, every person will come and go from our lives. Every single one, every single person that we love, we will lose. Yeah. And it's such a, uh, such a painful reckoning, but it is true. Yeah. Um, 
they will die or they will leave us or we will need to go or we will die. Like something will change because that is the nature of the universe. We lose everything. This time we're talking about 20 years ago, it is gone. It's ashes in the wind now. And we're in a new time. We're sitting here in this bed and this tube will go and on and on and on and on. Right. You know, so um, I learned to let go. I can't say, you know, I entered actually a process too of working deep on codependence because when you have a lot of anxious attachment stuff and abandonment wounding for me, I can't say this is true for everyone, but for me, the clinging, you know, the Uh. clinging and grasping was the way that I thought to heal my abandonment wounds. Like I'll just cling and hold on and make sure nobody ever leaves me. And if nobody ever leaves me, then I can heal from this wound. And the reality that I just, you know, said is like, oh, everyone will leave. So that's not possible. Okay. I <laughs> stop doing that. And I really turned towards the world of CODA, Codependence Anonymous and going to those meetings. And um, I love CODA. I love the 12 step world. Um, I've learned a lot about making amends and um, just there's some very deep stuff that can happen in that world. And for me, I found it to be a little bit pathologizing of blaming the per. you know, CODA is based a lot on, on AA, which was developed in the 1950s before we understood about attachment. Right. Attachment is just so key to how we um must understand ourselves. We are relational beings. We are not, we don't grow up in a void. Right. We aren't um, imprinted, you know, alone. We, we make these impressions through the care that we receive. And so the way I found CODA to impact me was, it was just a little too, it's very much like you have to take responsibility for how shitty you've been in your life and your relationships and you're really to blame and only you can fix it. It was, it was pretty, um, I, I definitely got a lot from it. I was like, okay, the, the part around responsibility was huge, but um, again, a little too pathologizing for me. And so moving into Buddhism was helpful because it helped me to, yeah, maintain all the responsibility stuff, but also em- employ self-compassion and yeah. forgiveness, yeah. forgiveness of self and forgiveness of other. Yeah, um, These are not easy practices. I think no. they're among the hardest spiritual um kind of thresholds you know to move through being able to forgive those who hurt us in deeply damaging ways and to forgive ourselves for transgressions during periods of deep unawareness you know like i have a lot to feel through as i move into my deepest known sexuality um Mm. you know around you know when it comes to my husband you know as well like this pain around how could I not know this and right. drawn this person into this promise of a life and marriage and then all of a sudden turn it on its head who am I what the fuck you know right. just there's a lot here to to be with so yeah, yeah. these are these are the spiritual fires wow that wow. are with me in this moment mm-hmm. and there will be more yeah but yeah. that's where I'm at today and it, as you're speaking I'm like well wow, it's so fascinating how there's just so many different parts to all of our journeys and it's like I the the younger part of our paths that felt sort of like wild and and sexy and more maiden-like and like going to the rainbow gathering and like you know just like I don't know being being in the wild and free and the yoga and the meditation and sitting on the floor and doing the blood rituals and all of that and all of that's so beautiful and then it's like well you're gonna keep going deeper my love and you're gonna do some of the tougher shit 
It's and, almost like the that layer was a little bit to draw you in, to yes. entice us, to engage. You right. know, it was like spirituality light. Yeah. And and easy and free. And yeah. of course it felt good. Yeah. Not really realizing that we were going to be drawn like quicksand deeper and deeper to the earth's core. Yeah. Totally, totally. And I do think that um, you know, sitting the the years that we sat in ayahuasca ceremony together and like there was almost like some of the the deep foundation that got shaken by that <clears throat> but then the day-to-day like the kneading of the dough and the sitting in the those uncomfortable moments that feels more like the buddhist practice it's like okay mama ayahuasca came in she's like shaking out some of the like crazy infancy trauma mm-hmm. and child trauma and all of that but then it's like okay now i'm living with how do i how do I make the changes? How do I face the abandonment wound? How do I face the patterns of behavior? And mm-hmm. that takes place over time. Like you can't mm-hmm. cure that in a ceremony. Like it's not going to go away with a prayer. Mm-hmm. It happens over time and it happens with sitting in those moments of self-compassion or forgiveness or deep shame or deep mm-hmm. guilt or mm-hmm. <clears throat> denial or whatever. And um to me, that feels like more advanced practice. Not that it's, you know, there's a hierarchy on any of it, but it feels like, okay, like this is the deep work. When we are on the day-to-day, we're fully sober, you're raising kids, you're going to work, and you're practicing with your shame. You're practicing with your self-forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's not a weekend thing. It's right. not a peak experience thing. It's moment to moment because the mind is with us every moment That's of right. every you know day. So we're either hearing those stories and we're either paying attention to the thought patterns, you know, or asleep to them. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they're not there, right? Yeah. And so it's so sobering when we start to notice, right, those thoughts of whatever they are that are insidious and we start practicing with them and we start feeling how they're impacting our view of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of courage, I think, to own up to that and to just notice, wow, with the quality of my mind right now as I'm in the fire is mm-hmm. a hell realm, mm-hmm. yes. you know, yes. and um, and there's no escaping it and there's no denying it. And mm-hmm. that's where meditation and, you know, um, self-compassion, all these very Buddhist practices have also helped me so much, though they don't always look as sexy, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, as, um, yeah, like swimming naked in the blue lagoon after the peyote ceremony right. and then posting a photo of that on Instagram or whatever. Yeah. yeah no, it's not, it's not sexy walking this path and it's not meant to be, you know, this is a, this is an idea that we're sold or I don't know where our culture is going, but there's some way in which our culture at large thinks it's about that. It's about something that's hot and marketable. And it's just simply um, that that's not, that's not the spiritual path that I've experienced. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not a path for others. It's just, in general, it does seem that suffering is a profound ally in this life to taking us into deeper realms. I think actually without points of tremendous suffering in my life, I would not have gone, I would not have chosen to go. Why would you go deeper when you're just on vacation and living living it up and having a great life? You know, it's only and you read about this in a lot of different spiritual texts, it's almost only when we're forced to go there that we do. And that is one reason we can choose to be very grateful for our suffering. Um, 
grateful for the seasons that we are brought to the fires mm -hmm. um even though in the moment of course every element of our you know being we, we are we are beings that are wired to seek pleasure and want to push away from suffering mm -hmm. and um of course of course we are but um walking into our suffering is where the teachings lie i yeah. believe yeah so. which is so you know tantric buddhist <clears throat> shamanic um and very different than the sort of new age or that somehow has emerged from western christianity or any of that it's just mm -hmm. really different there's no there's no light and loving it away you yeah. know it's actually the opposite yeah it's um, the opposite it's yeah. how how long can you sit in the darkness and not know yeah what's what's going to happen to you where you're going how you'll make it out alive yeah can you sit there in that place and not try to fix it or change it or jimmy your way out just stay there and allow the process to consume you yeah yeah i mean it takes bravery so let's talk about how you got through those moments because people listening are probably like what the actual fuck? you want me to just sit in my oh my shame in my shame, <laughs> in my shame cave and there's two parts to this question for me it's just like how what were the things that that guided you through we're shifting the bed you guys right now so if you're hearing a little rustling of the sheets <laughs> um yeah what were the things that got you through those moments that held you and supported you and I'm curious um and I'm curious how it felt on your end but and you've held you've held me in some rock bottomy moments for sure like how do we be with one we love when they're in sort of the deepest darkest because it is uncomfortable I know it's uncomfortable on both sides in different moments when we see the pers a, pers a person we love suffering so deeply. It's equally uncomfortable mm -hmm. for the friend. So mm -hmm. two parts to that question. Yeah. 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 Thank you. So the first part you were asking was around how do you do it? How do you stay with that? How do you sit? In Instead the of just going on your phone and scrolling or yeah. like working, overworking, whatever. Well, I think the... Um, the key here is <laughs> you're not going to manage it in perfection. You are going to scroll on your phone. Okay. You are going to check okay, out. Great. You're going to fail. You're going to fall on your face 8 million times. Um, you know, part of my journey of walking into my abandonment trauma was laying awake at night, unable to sleep, having panic attacks. I'd never had panic attacks ever in my life. I'd never really struggled with anxiety um, and all of a sudden I was like a completely unmanageable, anxious wreck mm. for I truly the better part of a year. And I was pregnant at the time. So um, it was really, really uh, distressing, horrible time. I was not eating. I was not sleeping. I was in the pit of, I don't even have to, to be honest, I don't have words for that place. Right, I, right. I hope I never, ever, ever go back there. Um, but um, there's nothing anyone could have done or said to get me out of that place. There's nothing. And I think here's the thing. We have an impulse as helpers, as friends, as, as people who love our, our dearest, our nearest and dearest. We we want to get in there and change things for that person because we, we're witness to their suffering and their suffering invokes our own fear of our own suffering. Um, and so, you know, as a therapist, this is something I've had to learn to do, that um, my job is not to fix it or change it or save them. My job is to accompany them 
in the sorrow, mm. accompany them in their grief, and, and say, I see you. You are suffering. This is mm. a moment of suffering. And all life involves suffering. And here we are. We're in it. You know, just being there is what you can do for someone who is suffering. But it's so important not to try to take them to the brighter side, help them see things in a new way, you know, try to change things. It's it's devastating, actually, for the person. I want you to, like, imagine someone who's lost a baby or had a miscarriage. And the people around them are saying, it's going to be okay, you know. There'll be a time when you look back on this and and it won't feel so bad. You know, like really trying to just skip this moment and get to the outcome space mm-hmm. where um, things are better and brighter. Mm-hmm. It is so deeply unhelpful to and very isolating to the person who is suffering. It feels um it, it feels worse. And God, so, it really does. Yeah. Oh, God, it and feels so, gaslighty. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 Exactly. Things aren't that bad. They're going to get better. Right. So, so what we can do. I heard like, well, you got pregnant, so this is good. And then you'll probably get pregnant again really soon. I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. Mm. Right. Yeah. And it was unhelpful to you. Yeah. It felt so lonely. Yes. So lonely. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we can do um, in being with these feelings ourselves and helping others is to just simply stay put. Mm. Don't try to move. Mm. Don't try to change. Don't try to shift things. Just be in it. And if you are in a space of extreme suffering, what I want to remind you is that it's it's natural, normal, and very okay <laughs> to um, not know how you're going to get out, not know what's coming next, to feel lost and disturbed and despairing. And that that is a, an important part of the process that you must not rush through. Mm-hmm. Um, there are teachings for you mm-hmm. in um, the needing to stay and experience rather than try to push through and get beyond. Yeah. So um, I just want to say a little something there for myself and everyone listening as Rebecca's talking, I'm like, I want to make a vow, and this is like the inner codependent in me, the helper, the fixer, the healer that has a high side and a low side. I want to make a vow to with anyone in my life who is not paying me as a client, because with me as a coach, I do offer solutions based on an, our, our conversation. Well, yeah, and that's the point of coaching. Yes. But anyone in my life who is not paying me that I do not offer solutions unless explicitly asked mm. that I just sit and say something like perhaps, and I want you all to get on board with this too, so we can all heal our codependency wounds together and our fear of discomfort and our fear of suffering. Perhaps you say something just like, I'm here with you. I see you. What do you, what what, what would you say? And yeah. I, I, like, what would you say? Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll say some things yeah. that I say that I've learned are helpful. This is so hard. I really see you. This is just awful what's happened. There's no denying it. Mm. This is so painful. I'm right here with you. Mm. I'm always going to be here with you. Mm. If that feels true to you to say that. Okay, Um, go write all that down. (laughs) Write it down because I know that you also tell your girlfriends like, 
oh, love, just, it's going to be better. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's all working out for the best. Like mm-hmm. this is actually meant to be all this bullshit that we've yeah. been indoctrinated Please don't into. say this is meant no. to be. It's no. not, it's not helpful. It, no. cre- it creates an idea that there's some master of puppets up there that's making things happen in your life. Um, you know, because you, you, like, yes, it's all for your greatest good. It is here. You are here having a human experience on the spiritual path. I, I believe that. And P.S. I'm no spiritual um, guru and I'm no spiritual master when I say this. So but but I do think that saying it's all happening for a good reason when someone is in their deepest, darkest suffering, it just doesn't tend to be helpful. It's more of that trying to shift to the bright side of things. Right. Um, this is good. This is happening for a good reason. Yeah, I'm sure the person will arrive to that on their own five years mm-hmm. from now, looking back on that very painful landscape. But mm-hmm. it's just in the moment they're walking that terrain. Mm-hmm. It's not helpful to try to mm-hmm. help them imagine the sunny side. Right. Yeah. Side note question before we go into the to that next piece. So say say you want to say that stuff to the people around you, right? And like kind of heal your own inner codependent that's really trying to make sure everyone around you is okay. You're managing their experience. If they're okay, you're okay, et cetera. Um, what if their suffering somehow like touches in yours in a way that dysregulates you. So if a friend comes to you and they're sort of dysregulated and all in a big tizzy, right? Like maybe they're sobbing or um, saying things that like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through to the other side. Like I've never been in such a terrible place or whatever, whatever. And what if it um, somehow destabilizes you, right? Like it Mm. pulls on your inner stories in a way where you're feeling their mess, quote unquote, or their, uh, I don't know what a better word is, their uh, unravel moment, moment of deep suffering, Mm -hmm. um, that it kind of, there's a seduction piece or there's a hook in your unconscious, right? Like I've been in dynamics with friends or other people in my life who shall remain nameless who um, the, their suffering has like a seductive quality yeah, touches your suffering and touches on mine. And so I like, I start to feel myself like diving into the abyss with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure many people here have been in that situation. What would you say then how to hold a beautiful boundary, but not be too harsh or like whatever. Okay. Yeah. Two words. Okay. Non-attached appreciation. Okay. So this is a concept I learned somewhere in the last year and a half, two years as I've been, you know, traversing this terrain of, of trying, of healing on my own path. And that phrase has really helped me. Non-attached appreciation is just a practice that you can employ in any realm of your life, not just with difficult material, but also it's powerful to employ it when you're in blissful states that you want to get attached to your joy and you want to hang on to it and you don't want to let it go. And you want to know it's never going to end, you know, like, um, non-attached appreciation. So any experience we have, we, the the non-attached appreciation is just a way of creating almost like an energetic bubble or boundary where we are appreciating what's happening, but with a little bit of distance to say, I can see and connect to, this is the appreciation part. I can see and connect to all that's happening here. And I'm also not going to allow myself to get attached 
to it in any form. I'm not going to get attached to it in a clinging way. I'm not going to get attached to it in a codependent needing to fix it way. I'm just going to appreciate what it is while staying on my side of the court, mm. you know, and mm. that doesn't mean you're not joining someone, mm. you know, I really do. Like, as I said that I pictured like a tennis court where there is that net there's a boundary there, but you're, you can see through the net. You're still sort of, you're in the set, you're in this on the same court. You're, you're still mm-hmm. connected. You're in that same space together. You're just not enmeshed with them and their energy. Right. Right. Enmeshment right. is a dangerous space. Right. So if you're a person that maybe is a little on the boundary list side, or maybe a little softer with your boundaries. P.S. Me, 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 me. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you would want to kind of figure out, okay, someone I love or a family member, let's say, because that's where we really get hooked in, I mm-hmm, think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or partner, whatever. Someone I love is really, really hurting. And it's like very seductive for me to sort of join them or just kind of like, oh, just go into their suffering, dive into their suffering mm-hmm. with them. Um <clears throat> But I'm going to visualize myself and that we're on the tennis court and Uh there's this beautiful little, um, you know, line between us and that I can say those same words. Like, Mm -hmm. I see you. Mm -hmm. Can Uh, I say one thing, however? Yeah. I do think there's medicine for us. Yeah. When when we hear someone suffering that deeply touches ours and it's compelling because it's... um, it's healing for our aloneness. You know, when we are in our suffering and it feels like no one can relate to that particular flavor and mm-hmm. we suddenly come upon someone that we're like, you get it. You understand. We've, we're walking a similar path here. There is medicine there for us because yeah. we don't thrive in a vacuum. We are relational beings and we need one another um, to help us co-regulate the overwhelming emotions of being humans and human bodies right. navigating this life. And so I don't want us to create this picture here as we talk about this, that there's something bad or wrong mm-hmm. with feeling enlivened when someone shares their suffering with us and it touches something in us. I think where it enters like yeah. a category that is dangerous is when it starts to feel like you said, it touches our codependent strivings towards wanting to fix something in the other person, almost like as a means of fixing ourselves. It's Mm. like that codependent urge to like go towards managing other people as a way to manage our inner worlds. Mm. And so again, like really holding with reverence. I know I do that yeah, yeah, yeah. We we all do as yeah. codependents, and P.S. So many people are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that's how. Especially all of us healers. Come on, let's yeah. be real. Yeah, there's a lot of healing that comes for us through supporting others on their healing path. So it's important not to judge and harm ourselves through self hatred. You know, stepping into those realms of you know thinking actions on our parts are bad or wrong. Right. I do think that there we just have impulses and compulsions as human beings that are all driven by our desire to feel better. Yeah. So even when we are drawn to our friends who are suffering and we want to get all in there in this kind of enmeshed way, sometimes it's just because it's touching, uh, you know, some part of our own healing. It's just like, it feels good to be accompanied like someone gets it. Um, And that's not bad. Right. It's just when we move into that realm of wanting to fix or change them as a means to feel better inside ourselves. Yes. Well, I've had, yeah, I've had that. And it's mainly like, it comes in these moments where it's like I'm doing really well and I'm not in the bottom of the swamp yeah and I'm like yes I'm having a good moment in life right yesterday I was at the bottom of the swamp now I'm having a great moment 
I'm enjoying it. And then someone I love comes and they're like, I'm in the bottom of the swamp. And I'm like, ooh, I actually don't want to go there today, yeah. you know, because yeah. I've actually just came out of something. Yeah. And for, for me, that's when that boundaries, that space of soft boundaries or like mm-hmm. joining too much can, um, you know, I can feel guilt for being in such a happy place or having such a happy day where someone I love is suffering so deeply. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you say about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you you've just you've just said it. Soft boundaries. Yeah. Keeping that distance healthy, non-attached appreciation, you know, appreciating that the person is suffering and letting them know they're seen. Yeah. And you know, creating your boundary around what you have time and space and energy for in that given moment. Cause it's true. We don't always have, I mean, here's the thing, you know, the other day I contacted you right. saying I'm kind of in crisis mode. I'm kind of internally collapsing. I need a little support. And you told me, you know, I can't talk right now. I'm not in a space where I can. Yeah. Um, I was actually I, supporting a you were different supporting friend. A friend. That person <laughs> was like right there in the space with you. And it just yeah. was impossible. And and that was fine. You know, you, you said, you said your boundary, I'm not able to, um, but I'll listen to your, you know, leave me a voice note. I'll listen to it later and we can connect later. And so that was fine. That yeah. was fine for me. Yes. It was like, yeah, totally. we're not always able in the moment. But my but heart tugs in those moments and I'm like, oh, I can't be oh, there no. for her because I'm here for this other person who just went through a hard time. <laughs> yes. Okay. I want to say this because it hasn't been said, but like Alex and I are truly like, this is like, go-to fam inner circle core I mean core top three friends in my life like you really are and I want your audience to know can I say this you can edit it out if you don't want it and you know but that we've been through hell and back no no, I wasn't gonna say that I'm just gonna (laughs) say you are such an amazing person like in your personal life outside this professional who people know you as Mm -hmm. you are um, you're my go-to person when I'm, you know, what, you're you. one of the top three that I reach for. And, Thank you. you know, we make time and space for each other to see one another multiple times a year, even though we live in different states because we're that important to one another. And, but yeah. I want people to know you're not just this persona. It's a, the professional persona that they get to see, like in your real life, in your real world, oh, you, you are deeply grounded and a source of so much wisdom and support thank for you. your dear community and circle. Thank you. Love you. I appreciate you to know that. that. I appreciate that so much, so much. Saw said that the other day too, when we were, he was like, you're so wise. Do people know that? And I'm like, I hope so. I have <laughs> tried to make a career out of it. <laughs> um, but, you know, and I will say like, we can end on this note um, and kind of this last kind of question, which it's funny that we're kind of saving it to the last, but I think it holds all of what we've talked about. And I will say also, you know, you can hear the 20 years of deep friendship and spiritual practice that we have together through the way that we're interacting and the conversation that we're having um, now as these, you know, adult women. And we've had phases in our friendship where we haven't been in resonance, you mm. know, where yeah going through different things. Oh my gosh. I mean, there've been times where I'm like going through such a particular phase that is not in resonance with the phase that you're going through. 
And yeah, shit has gotten real. I mean, there's uh-huh. definitely been moments where we've been like, I don't even know if we like each other. And mm-hmm. I think it's okay. It's been a long time. In 20 yes, years to have happened. moments where you're like, I love you, but I don't really like this little thing oh, you're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Or this version you're you're trying on, right? Like we've tried <laughs> on so many identities yes. and so many oh my God. moments. And we've also allowed each other to see the gnarliest patterns. Oh, yeah. And there's moments moments where you're like, I don't want to be fucking seen that deeply. I'm need to push you away. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We don't let's not, you know, unpack all of it yes. at the end here. But yeah. <laughs> well I appreciate you saying that because it's true. We can we can meet in this space because we've walked through different landscapes together. Mm-hmm. Um it's not just we've had this great 20 year friendship. You know, there's um a lot of research that's been done about Friendships that have no ruptures are very fragile and uh, uh, that can't really go deep. You you must have like actual ruptures and repairs for bonds to be strong. That actually, actually ruptures are an important part of having healthy relationships, successful relationships that you must have conflict with your closest people. Um, but the, the important key here is you have to have healthy repair. You right. can't have conflict, you know, where people stonewall and ignore each other and then come back together pretending like that never happened. Th- that is not a healthy relationship. Right. You have to have um conflict repair or excuse me rupture where people come back together and actually say now what happened there let's really go there what was happening for you what was happening for me i'm so sorry i touched yeah. this or i behaved in this way or i caused right. harm um but we've been able to do that we and that's have. what made, has made our relationship strong it has and when we were younger i was terrified to rupture i think I don't know if it was just with you, but I think in general, I was afraid of conflict, like mm-hmm. in my early 20s or whatever. And I would hold it in and I would pretend I was okay. And I held in a lot of feelings. And But there was there came a certain moment on the journey where I began to have a, more of a voice mm-hmm. in, in my side mm-hmm. of being able to stand up and say like, hey, that hurt me. But for years, I was ashamed and afraid, mm-hmm. I think, to be that honest. Um, and I'm glad we made it through those years where I had to find my own um, fear of not being abandoned, right, mm-hmm. by you not losing your love, mm-hmm. that I could say, hey, that really hurt my feelings, and then right. I wouldn't lose you. Because I think for you, for for the first chunk of our friendship, I didn't. I just held mm-hmm. it in, and it bred resistance resentment or whatever and then we had some of like the biggest most gnarliest ruptures and we actually fucking repaired so yeah do you have friendships in your life now that you have not ruptured with that you consider to be good friends i'm thinking now no i do have a few i'm gonna think about those i don't know i think about those partly because i don't fuck around i just tell people i'm pissed at you i know sucked i don't like this right (laughs) which i have always been liberated by yeah liberated in you know as you just you threatened yeah i think that's a part of me that also i didn't have good control over my anger for the early years of my life you know Mm -hmm. i did lash out at people in ways Mm -hmm. that were unhealthy i would explode and you know i've learned a lot through my own healing how to self-regulate and that doesn't that doesn't happen anymore but I think I did, you know, at points burn bridges and definitely you're talking about, I felt afraid of losing you. If I should bring something negative to you. I mean, that's right, you're like, a part girl, of those early years. You're acting like a beep. <laughs> <laughs> definitely had some of those moments. Yeah. 
But we have stayed with this beautiful bond and here we are and we're still walking on the journey. And I like to think that we will be walking together for lifetimes. And even though Mm -hmm. Alexandra and Rebecca will die, pass on to the other side, disintegrate, turn to dust, that our souls will continue on. And I say this to my dear friends sometimes, like to you, Ficane, Moon, you know, some of my close people, I'm like, hey, isn't it cool that we get to hang out for infinity? Not as us. Oh, yeah. Right. But like the oh the little sparkle in us that is infinite gets to be together for infinity. Mm-hmm. I find that to be very um, soothing, mm-hmm. just knowing that we're soul family. And if you all haven't read Destiny of Souls and Journey of Souls, highly recommend those books because they help me understand a little bit more about the contracts we have with other souls and how we come and we learn specific lessons together. And this human here, Rebecca is definitely one who we have been walking this soul contract and we continue to do so. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I think it's time to stop here. This has been such a good deep podcast. I feel like we could keep talking forever, but uh, why don't you tell us how we can find you, how people can work with you, um, anything that you've got going on in the world that you want to share? Mm, Thank you. I'd love to. Yeah, in my psychotherapy practice, um, my work really centers primarily around healing the wounds of unmet attachment needs. And those can show up in so many ways with my clients. I see clients working through histories that include abandonment, like we talked about, um, neglect, painful relationship patterns, codependence, and shame. Mm. And so I can be found at my website at fromwithintherapy.com. Awesome. And you work with people in person in California, and then you can work with people across the whole world um, as well, right? Yeah. So providing psychotherapy, I see clients within the state of California, virtually anywhere. And my office is located in Sacramento. So I see clients in person there. And then I provide coaching as well. So people can see me in that way, um, anywhere in the world. Awesome. So if you're in Sacramento and you're looking for an incredible therapist, then find Rebecca. And if you're anywhere else and you're looking for an incredibly deep, spiritual, wise, highly trained coach, then you can find her online and they can write you through your website. That's right. Awesome. And she's not an Instagram person. She's private and she has a family. So you don't (laughs) go fishing around social media for her. You have to go to actually go to her website. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast and share your wisdom and uh, the deep path that you've lived with all of my community. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, Let us know what stood out to you. DM me, share, send to a friend, uh, like, subscribe, review, all that good stuff if it resonated. And if not, don't worry about it. Okay, lots of love. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.